Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, or whoever everyone is. Uh, this is Dr. Simon. The show is The Stories We Live By. And uh, today I'm going to do something a little interesting, I think. It's going to be a story told from a, uh, somebody in the future, the year 2050, who is familiar with my work and some of the uh, others uh, who share my point of view, or in the case of uh, Dr. Uh, 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 Zas, Thomas Zas, who I've mentioned a number of times, kind of hero of mine, just turned 90 years old, still going strong, um, I, I would imagine he's the, he's the center uh, of uh, what most of us uh, sort of uh, gravitate around. He was, he was uh, the one who brought us, if you will, crystallized our point of view about the, the uh, silly disaster that psychiatry and the whole mental health industry that modeled itself after psychiatry. Um, and so it's going to be an individual from the year 2050 who's familiar with Zasa's work and my work uh, and talk about uh, the hidden politics of psychiatry and how the uh, industry, the mental health industry, uh, and the drug companies uh, helped, not fully by themselves, but certainly helped undermine American democracy, creating what Zas calls a pharmacracy, a kind of a dictatorship and uh, our uh, hero in 2050 is in hiding, and he's going to uh, talk about uh, uh, his fears about what's happening, and I'll get to that in a second. I, I should talk a little bit about why I'm doing this show. I haven't done a show since December, uh, and there's a number of reasons for that. One is that, as I said in December, I really feel I'm repeating myself over and over again, and uh, um, don't have anything really new to say. Uh, it's my lack of imagination, uh, but uh, that, that's part of the, the issue. The second thing was I got involved, my wife and I got involved in a show in the development where we live. Uh, it was for charity, a cancer uh, research organization, and uh, our rehearsals were unbelievable. The last eight weeks until last Friday and Saturday when we actually did the show, and uh, we had about 800 people uh, buy, buy tickets, did very well for the organization, for the research organization. But, um, so uh, I was so involved with that. Also, uh, I'm, I have other things that I'm uh, dealing with, and the result was I didn't do a show. But here I am, and again, I don't know how long, how many more I'll do of these. Uh, I certainly don't, uh, hope, hope I don't give up on doing this completely, but... So let me, let me send us to 2050 and uh, 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 become the, 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 narrator, the narrator of the story. Um, I am in hiding. Uh, I, I am a, uh, a psychologist in the year 2050. I won't give you my name, uh, but I want to talk about uh, my fears. I, I, I believe that I will be caught by the psychiatric police in the not-too-distant future, and I will uh, be diagnosed with uh, serious mental disorders and mental illnesses, and I will be forced into treatment, and uh, I don't know if I'll be, uh, have the same identity. I don't know who I'll be when they finish working on my brain with drugs and uh, electroconvulsive shock therapy and maybe even uh, uh, cut parts of my brain, uh, do lobotomy, uh, which they claim, uh, the psychiatric industry claims, is the uh, real cure for serious illnesses such as mine. Uh, why would I have a serious illness? Because I deny the legitimacy and the reality of psychiatry, psychology, and the idea that uh, when people are unhappy and confused, miserable, uh, and behave in, in unwanted, hard-to-understand ways, uh, that they have a medical problem that requires medical treatment. Um, so let me begin uh, 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 with um, uh, the, the rise of psychiatry, if you will. Um, the idea that uh, people who were, are, are uh, 
who used to be called mad a couple of centuries ago, uh, have a medical problem. Uh, it wasn't until uh, the, 19, uh, the, the 20th century that the idea that madness and strange behavior, serious depressions, etc., were medical problems when medical doctors took over the treatment of these individuals. Uh, we don't go, I need not go through the history, the horrible history of the asylums and the way in which uh, these individuals so diagnosed were treated. Um, but the story really picks up steam in the 20th century uh, when the mad doctors, as they were called, were now called psychiatrists, and by the year 2010, a great many of them no longer called themselves even psychiatrists, but called themselves psychopharmacologists. So uh, let me talk about uh, the, the, the rise of the pharmacracy, the rise of the dictatorship, uh, how the government uh, 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 and, the, and the industry formed a fascist type of organization, the definition of fascism, being the uh, simultaneous goals of uh, government and industry being the same. That, that, that's the definition, the technical definition of a fascism. And certainly by 2010, uh, America was well on its way uh, to be a fascist country. Um, with the psychiatrists and psychologists competing with them, social workers, all diagnosing any kind of uh, unusual, deviant behavior, anybody who uh, didn't walk around smiling constantly like a happy moron um, was in, in danger of being diagnosed and, and, uh, 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 and, and, and treated in, uh, even against their will. So uh, if, you, if you go back into about 2010, that's the tipping point year that I want to talk about, you could have looked in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders and you would have read a the definition of a mental disorder. And a mental disorder is defined as a clinically significant behavioral or psychological syndrome or pattern that occurs in an individual that is associated with present distress or disability or significantly increased risk of suffering death pain, disability, or an important loss of freedom. Now, it's interesting that by 2010, the, the psychiatrists were using a behavioral definition of mental disorders. And yet, as Zas points out, there is no way to define an illness by behavior alone. The behavior, how it would have to be a, a symptom, a true symptom, of a biological abnormality to be called an illness. So they knew somehow, or they knew they were playing with words when they called it a mental disorder and sort of left the idea of mental illness out of the definition. It's a behavioral definition with serious problems, but still a behavioral definition. This is about what people do and the consequences emotionally and socially of what occurs based upon what they do. So uh, the problem was that by the year uh, 1990, the American Psychiatric Association, which had been losing patients to psychologists and social workers in large numbers, did a kind of an end run and announced that the 1990s would be the decade of the brain. Simultaneously, drugs were being advertised on television, and no drugs were more uh, heavily promoted than drugs to deal with psychiatric problems. And there were really three main problems. Uh, one, the so-called schizophrenia, and I'm not really going to talk about schizophrenia uh, because that was always the, 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 uh, the golden idol of psychiatry, uh, even if they gave ground on any of the others. Uh, but 
It was considered to be a brain disorder. On the cause of the hallucinations and delusions was, in their definition, a brain disorder. Second large class uh, of, uh, of advertising went for people who were depressed. And this was definitely told, that people were definitely told that they had a chemical imbalance. And by the year 2010, or before that, well before that, anybody with depression would tell you they had a chemical imbalance. The idea that their misery and their unhappiness, and I'll discuss, I've discussed this before, I'll discuss it again during this hour, could have been the result of, of how they saw the world and themselves and the nature of their relationships. The idea that that could be the main problem uh, that created this immo often immobilizing, uh, serious emotional difficulty had almost disappeared. The public uh, was repeating over and over again what the advertising on television and their doctors now were telling them uh, and other professionals were telling them, and that is that they had some kind of a chemical imbalance and that this chemical imbalance probably had, uh, uh, and sometimes it was said, stated openly, definitely had a uh, genetic component to it. So the third group I'm going to leave for a moment, and this was what I call uh, the assault on children. Children prior to 1960, let's say, were rarely diagnosed as psychiatric patients and even more rarely ever given drugs. And uh, I'm going to t keep a special section. I want to leave children out of this for the moment, but they were the third group children who didn't behave in school, children uh, who, who uh, through temper tantrums, adolescents who were unhappy, and uh, Lord knows how many adolescents are unhappy uh, when the zit starts, when their identities uh, have yet formed, when they have conflicts with school and worries and fears about what would happen when they grow up, especially uh, after the in the late 2008 9 when the economy went bust and there was tremendous anxiety in many families people were losing their homes their jobs and there really wasn't a clear vision of the future for so many uh, particularly in high school and went to college but the social drama uh, the, the sexual dramas all of these had always been there with adolescents but now any adolescent was was considered unhappy uh, was now a target a powerful target for psychiatric intervention uh, clinical intervention so were was there any real evidence that there was a biological basis to explain these behaviors and and, and the criteria would have to be very clear what the, the medical industry, what, what the industry would have to demonstrate with any given individual is that there was a marker and it could be tested for. But there were, by 2010, in fact, by the year 2050, there are still no markers, genetic or otherwise, that can be used to predict who or what will get any particular uh, mental malady any particular form of unhappiness or confusion or antisocial behavior or any of the other things that end up being diagnosed as a mental disorder and then advertised as a medical problem and treated as a medical problem with doctors and, and literature telling patients endlessly that these maladies were no different than diabetes uh, or ulcers or heart disease. Uh, three, particularly uh, uh, difficult uh, ailments, medical ailments, that are medical because they can be tested for, because we know basically uh, what level of problem will lead to what level of symptom. And that's what you'd have to have. But nobody who was ever diagnosed with any mental disorder uh, or mental illness, uh, as was being implied, or problem requiring medication, uh, was, was ever uh, given a test because 
the test didn't exist. So let me read a statement from the American Psychiatric Association. They were put on, on the carpet, so to speak, by a group of individuals um, who uh, were what they call psychiatric survivors. They picketed the, uh, that year's 2003. They picketed their, the American Psychiatric Association convention, and a press release was put out. And I want to read um, much of this page. Over the past five years, the nation has more than doubled its investment in the study of the human brain and behavior, leading to a vastly expanded understanding of disorders that afflict and are mediated by the brain. This effort, undertaken by both public and private research sectors, as well as by diverse professional organizations that are dedicated to moving new information about mental disorders into clinical applications, has greatly improved our ability to treat severe, frequently disabling mental and behavioral disorders effectively. Improved treatments dramatically improve the quality of health care and in turn the quality of life for millions of Americans who themselves have a mental disorder, as well for the countless families in which the family mem a family member has a severe mental or behavioral disorder. Well, certainly uh, these drugs, because they're not really medicines until they can be shown that they're treating a true medical problem, these drugs did affect behavior, and positively for some individuals, although negatively for many others. And so the statement is really an oversimplification and an almost an outright lie. It is unfortunate, the press release goes on, that in the face of this remarkable scientific and clinical progress, a small number of individuals and groups persist in questioning the reality and clinical legitimacy of disorders that affect the mind, brain, and behavior. One recent challenge contended that the lack of diagnostic laboratory tests capable of confirming the presence of a mental disorder constituted evidence that these disorders are not medically valid conditions. While the membership of the American Psychiatric Association respects the right of individuals to express their impatience with the pace of science, we note the human brain is the most complex and challenging object of study in the history of the human science. Conditions term mental disorders that affect or are mediated by the brain represent dysfunctions of the highest integrative functions of the human brain, including cognition or thought, emotional regulation, and executive function, or the ability of the brain to plan and organize behavior. Results, research has shown that serious neurobiological disorders such as schizophrenia reveal reproducible abnormalities of brain structure, such as ventricular enlargement and function. Compelling evidence exists that disorders, including schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and autism, to name a few, have a strong genetic component. Still, brain science, and this is where the gobbledygook starts, Brain science has not advanced to the point where scientists or clinicians can readily point to discernible pathological lesions or genetic abnormalities that in and of themselves serve as a reliable or predictive biomarker of a given mental disorder or mental disorders as a group. Ultimately, no anatomical lesion such as a tumor may ever be found. Rather, mental disorders will likely to be proven to represent disorders of intercellular communication or disrupted neural circuitry. All right, after all of that nonsense, the gobbledygook is cleared up. They have no markers. They have no idea what it is that causes, biologically, that can account for any of these diagnostic categories. Therefore, they haven't proven in any way, shape, or form that they have a biological basis and are true medical diseases. Now, it's clear, it's clear to anybody who studies this that there are individual differences in biology, and the individual differences in biology, brain structure and brain function, affect how the environment affects us and, and shapes our behavior, our perceptions, our thinking, our emotional reactions, are basically rooted in biology. 
But that doesn't mean that those individual differences represent any kind of medical problem, like diabetes, like a heart attack. It doesn't at all. Let me read from a later uh, article. This from the Harvard Guide to Psychiatry, third edition. Same kind of, of, of gobbledygook. We have made great strides in increasing our knowledge of the biochemistry and neurophysiology of the brain and in understanding the mind. Right? I don't think Simon never disputed that. Zas never disputed that. However, it goes on to say, perhaps when we discover the elusive abnormal, abnormal metabolite, we may find it influenced by a combination of genetic, environmental, biological, and psychological factors. Yes, we may. But that metabolite, that mysterious element that would establish that we're talking about a true medical problem like diabetes has never been found. Not in 2010 and not in 2050. So, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with behavior. And in the definition of mental disorder, it says, Patterns of behavior that occur in an individual. Well, right away, that's nonsense. Behavior doesn't occur in an individual. An individual behaves, and that behavior affects himself or herself, affects the people around them, and the people around them and how they treat the individual, particularly when they're growing up, particularly when they're in school, affects the behavior. Behavior is not in individuals, my friends. Behavior is between individuals. It's between the individual and the world. It's between, not in. Behavior is directed towards external objects, towards people. It has an effect. It has powerful loops of effect. I affect you and you affect me. It feels like something for me to be you, with you, and it feels like something for you to be me. And this includes our parents, includes our teachers, it includes our clergy, and it includes those we define as politicians. So, by their own admission, there was no medical problem here involved. Let me read something else kind of uh, uh, something that appeared in the DSM-4. Uh, the, 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 the one I was reading from before was the 4RT, a revised version that came on before 5. Manifestations of this disorder, talking about a di disorder of childhood called oppositional defiant disorder, are almost invariably present in the home setting, but may not be evident at school or in the community. Symptoms of the disorder are typically more evident in interactions with adults and peers whom the individual knows well and thus may not be apparent during clinical examination. Can you imagine diabetes disappearing when you go into the doctor's office? What we're talking about here is meaningful behavior. And then this little paragraph goes on to say, Usually individuals with this disorder do not regard themselves as oppositional or defiant, but justify their behavior as a response to unreasonable demands or circumstances. You mean there are no unreasonable demands or circumstances? What we're now talking about, by the words that are here, is a child who is not sick, but opposes authority, that the conflict exists between the child and, at home, his parents, at school, his teachers. And I don't have to take a position. Nobody had to take a position on who's right or wrong. That's not the issue. The child is acting in a way that expresses his interests. And it's authority that says he's wrong. And what this says is authority is always right. We need not look at the conflict between the child and his parents or the parent, child and his teachers and how that conflict is resolved to understand the behavior of the child. We need not understand that. We look in the child, 
assume that there's a chemical imbalance with a genetic component and start drugging. And start drugging. Dr. Simon wrote that he had a patient, a young boy, who was a, um, a terrible misbehaving child in school. He was a real problem. And he was put on all kinds of drugs. And he sat and he would sleep in class if the drugs were strong enough. He wasn't learning very much. And he was often angry. And he often fought with other children. And he fought with teachers. He saw every adult as unreasonable. Well, some were, some were not. That's not the point. What was going on here is that it was assumed that we could understand his behavior from a biological source and were treating the source by dulling the brain of this child and putting them to sleep in class. And when I asked him, when Dr. Simon asked him, what were these drugs like, he said, handcuffs in a bottle, handcuffs in a bottle. And that's what they are, and that's what they were, handcuffs in a bottle. Now, a lot of his teachers deserve to have him handcuffed, but that didn't help him, and in the long run, didn't help them as teachers and as educators. When Dr. Simon worked with the family, it was soon revealed, well, not so soon, took several months for the mother to finally admit that when this boy misbehaved at home, the father, who was also a very angry upset man would chase him around the house with a stick saying, when I get you, you useless bag of shit, I'm going to beat you to death. Uh, does that explain perhaps more than a chemical imbalance or a brain problem why this child was misbehaving? I think so. I vote that way. I can't prove it, but I vote that way. What was going on here, ladies and gentlemen, and to whoever else is listening, what was going on here is a conflict resolved politically with a definition that hides the politics, and hence the title of today's show. All human beings live with other human beings. It cannot be otherwise. And all human beings have varying degrees of conflict in their relationships. Politics, the politics of a large society, the politics of a family, of a school, of a church. Politics define the way that these problems are resolved. And what psychiatry and the mental health industry have done is take individuals who don't play according to the rules of a society, the moral rules, and pretend that they're not making a moral judgment, but instead have defined a medical problem to be treated medically. It's a lie and a dangerous one and ultimately began to undermine the entire society. Why? When Dr. Simon went to graduate school and he learned about mental illnesses, and they were called illnesses then before they were called disorders, uh, when the sleight of hand moved it from, from uh, biological to psychological or behavioral, when he went, there was maybe 25 mental illnesses, and rarely were they treated or seen as a medical problem. They were seen as a social problem. They were seen as conflict. They were seen as growing out of childhood. And while there were a lot of problems with the way in which the explanations worked, and always a lot of difficulty in changing those behaviors, um, because patterns of behavior that an individual sees as necessary for their survival and for their uh, growth, for their uh, maintaining their self-esteem, are never easy to change unless you use extreme force or a great deal of intelligence in getting the individual willingly to see what has to be changed in their behavior. Uh, all of these um, uh, uh, were ways of reducing conflict and now hidden. And so there were only 25, and rarely were drugs used, rarely. It was not a medical problem. And as a result, non-medical personnel, such as Dr. Simon, uh, were able and were licensed to treat these problems. In fact, the word treatment is the wrong word, but that's another story for another time, or go back into the archives that Dr. Simon left behind 
on Blog Talk Radio, uh, and, and that can be dis- that was discussed there too. So what was going on here? These conflicts, these moral judgments that defined who was the who was to be blamed for the bad behavior, for the conflict that disrupted the home or the classroom or society, began to grow. Numbers began to be added. Psychiatrists began to add huge numbers and psychologists. Everybody wanted a piece of the action. They wanted enough diagnoses so that everybody could have a specialty and a private practice and earn a living. And the number of individuals being diagnosed grew dramatically, grew phenomenally. So that by the time the DSM-IV arrived, it was a book, hundreds and hundreds of pages long, containing hundreds and hundreds of diagnostic categories and subcategories. In fact, if you read through the the, uh, uh, book at the time, or read through the current edition, uh, uh, the diagnostic, you know, the DSM-10, uh, which comes in two editions and contains perhaps a thousand diagnoses, but even back in 2010, all of these categories would allow you to make a diagnosis of any human being on the planet of any age. Which brings me to my story of the tipping point or how the tipping point arrived when an entire generation of children were convinced that they had a mental illness and a biological and genetic problem. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the consequences of making this diagnosis and saying that the results of interpersonal conflict, the unhappiness and the misery that results from the varying ways in which conflict is resolved, sometimes with violence, sometimes with labels, sometimes through abandonment, sometimes between uh, a parent calling a child uh, a bag of shit uh, and beating him with a stick. Other times, uh, one of my more depressed, Dr. Simon's more depressed patients, uh, who was referred to by her mother as the abortion that failed. And anybody who saw clients termed patients for any length of time heard these stories one after another after another it disappears with the diagnosis the problem is in the individual and not between individuals and what happens the whole goal of working with individuals changes dr simon often said and wrote that when he became a psychologist, there were really two interlocking goals that he and almost everybody in the profession had. The first was to help individuals become stronger, brighter, more insightful, and creative individuals, to live in ways that were different than childhood may have taught them, so that things were more in their interest and that they can end up being more creative and more loving in their relationships. And the second was to make the world a better place to live in. Injustice, injustice has always been a part of human interaction. Unfairness, the strong dominating the weak, the the powerful eating up the weak alive, adults using all manner of brutality and cruelty on children. This has been part of the documented history of human beings. And the, 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 the basis of Dr. Simon's religious education was to be a good person and do good things and leave the world a better place. And that was not what happened when psychiatry and the mental health organization redefined problems as being in individuals and medical in nature. All of that disappeared. The only goal was to make the individual fit into society, no matter how unjust, no matter how unfair, no matter how cruel, and no matter how irrational 
it was. Soldiers coming home from war. Nobody said, what does the natural course of killing and, and, and being killed lead an individual? War is the most terrible of all violent situations, particularly modern warfare, which has been termed industrial age slaughter on a massive level. Dr. Simon had patients who had come back from Vietnam, and these individuals were termed post-traumatic stress disorder. The problem was in them, and yet when he spoke to these individuals, they all had horror stories to tell, like a man who had shot a seven-year-old girl about to throw a bomb onto the back of his truck, where he and his, his uh, friends, his colleagues, his buddies, would have all been maimed or killed. And when he shot her, she fell in two pieces. And he wept as he said this. He said, I can't get my mind around the fact that I killed a little child, even in self-defense. He wasn't suffering from a disorder. He was suffering from guilt. Many of those soldiers came back disillusioned. They knew people were making large sums of money, the arms manufacturers. When it came out that the Gulf of Tonkin, which was the justification for starting the Vietnamese War as a main force war, had never occurred, that it was a lie, that it was made up. In the same way that the lies about weapons of mass destruction justified the starting of an Iraq war, which was equally in its own way horrible to those who lived through it, both as soldiers and as civilians. But all of this disappears. We don't listen to the soldier. We treat the soldier. We chemically reduce the soldier's ability to even speak or deal and work through with the guilt, the rage, the shame. So that the society was being turned into a group of patients rather than citizens. And conflict was annoyed, uh, was ignored, injustice was ignored, and what we had was one medical problem after another that be treated and understood as a problem to be given drugs. But the real horror was the attack on children. Dr. Simon Wright wrote, there were three diagnoses that became very important uh, in, in first defining children as mentally diseased. One was conduct disorder, the second was oppositional defiant disorder, and third, excuse me, uh, excuse me, I had a sneeze. And the third was attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. Millions and millions of children were so diagnosed. And what Simon did in one of his books is that he put together the symptoms of these right out of the DSM, putting them all together as if they were one disorder, because they were all treated in the same way. People didn't want to notice that. The same drugs were given to the same individuals, regardless of their diagnoses, and often these diagnoses were overlapping and shifted from diagnostician to diagnostician because there was no reliability to any of them, because there was no biological problem or no markers to anchor them in. So listen, if you had read the DSM at the time, to the, the symptoms, the so-called symptoms, of these disorders. One, often bullies, threatens, or intimidates others. My friends, how often is often? Okay. How, how well defined is that term? But bullies, threatens, and intimidates? Is this a medical problem like high blood sugar or palpitations or a broken leg? Or is this a moral definition? Two, often lies to obtain goods or favors to avoid obligation. That is, cons others. Con, lie, moral, what that medical. Often does not follow through on instructions or fails to finish schoolwork, chores, or duties in the workplace. Often fidgets with hands or feet, squirms in seat. Often argues with adults often actively defies 
or refuses to comply with adult requests or rules. Why is it that the public never looked and said, this is not a disease, it's a social problem. These are not medical diagnoses, they're moral judgments. To be understood, to be understood in context, to be understood within the life that the individual was living from moment to moment. But all of that disappears. All of that disappears. But it got worse. As lifetime went by, even very young children could be given a serious diagnosis, something that didn't exist 20 years earlier. And as Simon put it, and Zas and some of his friends, it was the diagnosis du jour. Every year, a new diagnosis competed, and often uh, against other diagnoses, and often these new diagnoses required more medications and stronger medications to deal with. And by 2010, the diagnosis du jour was bipolar disorder. People were being given multiple drugs. They were given a, a, a dozen, half a dozen mood stabilizers, anti-anxiety drugs, antidepressant drugs, all at the same time. And they were being given to children as young as two. Uh, the bipolar disorder, early onset bipolar disorder, was the, uh, the, the brainchild of a psychiatrist at Harvard who became very famous overnight, a guy named Joseph Biederman. Even when it was pointed out that Biederman and almost all of the psychiatrists who were working at the time and psychopharmacologists were taking money from the drug companies, even when that occurred, and they found out that Biederman had in one year had taken as much as $1.6 million and, not re and not, had not reported it even to Harvard, which uh, uh, accepted as non-conflict of interest when doctors were paid by drug companies. Even when it was discovered that he promised Johnson & Johnson that one of the medications that were being promoted for young children to control this dread psychiatric problem, uh, when he wrote that it would improve their financial balance, even then, the public didn't get involved. The public uh, took its drugs or a drink or did something, and that was the end. Nothing occurred. It just snowballed and snowballed. Right? What are the symptoms of a child two years old who has early onset bipolar disorder and will be given very powerful brain-organized, reorganizing, brain-damaging, and all kinds of terrible drugs. Separation anxiety. That is, a child gets upset when, at two when it leaves the mother, or the mother leaves. Rages and explosive temper tantrums. Irritability. Oppositional behavior. Frequent mood swings. Anybody ever deal with a two-year-old? They throw tantrums. It's the mark. It used to be called the terrible twos, but no more. Hyperactivity, restlessness, fidgetiness. How about this one, folks? Silliness, goofiness, giddiness, carbohydrate cravings. Child likes candy. This could be laughed at, but it wasn't laughed at. Books began to appear all over the bookstands on all of these disorders and how to deal with them how to live with them, but most important, how drugs were required. It was estimated at one point in the 2000s, early 2000s, that up to 50 million American adults and 10 million American children were having their brains damaged, reorganized, uh, and their behavior controlled with powerful, powerful psychiatric drugs. People adapted. Dr. Simon, towards the end of his career, uh, received phone calls. My child is having trouble with the SATs. He needs more time and he could take it if you will diagnose him as having ADHD, Attendance and Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. When Simon refused to do this, they found someone willing for $1,200, $1,500, up to $2,000 
to make the diagnosis because the diagnosis can easily be made in any individual. Since the doctor doesn't see it in his office, it has to be based on reports from the individual or the parent who wants this diagnosis so their child under the Disabilities Act can be given more time as they were by the thousands. More time on the SATs, more time on the uh, law boards, more time on the medical boards, the MCATs. No, people were now thinking of themselves as damaged goods. Their goal was to be successful economically within the stricture defined by the corporations that now ran America. And people went to sleep. When the bankers robbed the banks and the economy collapsed, there was no dissension. When we went to war and it found out that the war was a lie, the basis of the war was a lie, there was no dissension. Why? Because we had turned, the country had turned from citizens to patients. Good patients who had to do what was right, who had to listen to authority, and who had to be drugged. The tipping point came in 2010 when the much-needed uh, overhaul of the medical uh, uh, insurance took place. The federal government now, now began to extend benefits to millions of people who didn't have benefits. It was the right thing. It was the moral thing to do. However, the people who wrote these bills were the same people who ran the drug companies and ran the insurance companies. And they wrote it for their profits, not ultimately for the individuals who would benefit by it. And while it's true that some got medical uh, uh, coverage uh, that they desperately needed and others were not allowed to be thrown out uh, uh, of their plans because they actually got sick and needed the insurance, um, the cent one of the central points of this bill was parity for mental health patients. And you suddenly had, you suddenly had an unbelievable increase in the number of people being diagnosed and treated. The, the Secretary of Health and Education, Sibelius, went on to say, uh, one in five Americans will have a mental illness this year and almost half will have a mental illness in their lifetime. Yet 10 million people didn't get the mental health care they needed last year, and 20 million didn't get substance abuse services. Suddenly, people were being diagnosed, and children were being diagnosed by the tens of millions. To make it worse, the government began to collect data in large computers, from those who had been interviewed by an army, by an army of paraprofessionals whose job was it to go into the schools and find out by use of unreliable questionnaires, dubious questionnaires, who needed mental health care. That was the tipping point. The costs financially were enormous. The number of people being treated skyrocketed the number of people who found their way into government computers and never found their way out of them skyrocketed. It was something that George Orwell would have easily predicted. Or Brave New World by Aldous Huxley perhaps said it better. A whole society being conditioned and a whole society being given drugs. In his book, it was a drug called Soma which took all conflict away, which took all agitation and sadness away, and also removed all creativity. By 2010, the premier institute for technology in the United States, MIT, had less than 20% of its students American-born, mostly foreign-born, a great many of whom packed up after their education and went home to become lights in their own society. So, here I sit in the year 2050, 
waiting for the police, the psychiatric police, to come finalize my diagnosis and institute a treatment against my will. Will I at the end love Big Brother as Winston Smith did at the end of that horrendous description of a dictatorship described by George Orwell in, in 1984? Will it happen? I see no way around it. Simon, by the end of his career, saw no way around it. The public had swallowed hook, line, and sinker, a big lie. Joseph Goebbels, the minister of, of, of propaganda for the Nazis, must have been smiling from hell, where he clearly <laughs> belonged. Say the same lie over and over again, it becomes the truth. And anybody who disagreed with that truth was diagnosed as a mental patient in need of treatment. That's it for today. I covered what I want to cover. I'm back in as uh, myself. My, my, my speaker is, uh, I'm going to be doing this as a presentation. One of the reasons, again, I did this today was that next Tuesday, uh, uh, some friends of mine, colleagues of mine, we started a political discussion group here at my, uh, my uh, community. And I'm going to make a presentation similar to this. And anybody who misses it or wants to uh, listen more closely, I will give them this address and let them come and listen uh, here. I don't expect there'll be anybody calling in because I don't expect that anybody knows I'm doing this. Uh, one of the problems in not doing this regularly uh, and very regularly is that uh, while I have many friends and followers, I don't know how many of them uh, will be uh, not surprised by this particular, uh, this particular episode. So, it's time for cocktail hour. Time to open a nice bottle of Merlot and have an enjoyable evening and supper. And I say good night and to all and uh, watch what drugs you take. Yeah.